Synchronicity will take you along. And here's your host, Travis William Skink Mateer. Yeah, that's me, Travis William Skink Mateer, and this is episode six of Zoomcron. I scrapped the first introduction I did a couple days ago, um, and now it is November 7th, 2021. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit longer in this introduction um, before we get to my conversation with Jeff Roach, a local Missoulian who's lived in Missoula since 1988. Um, and his current residence is actually at a pretty controversial homeless program called the TSOS. That's the acronym because Missoula political leadership loves acronyms. Um, that TSOS used to stand for um, Temporary Safe Outdoor Space. But then they changed the, the first T, they changed the T to transitional. So now it's a transitional safe outdoor space. And Jeff lives in a tent out there, um, a tent that I took him to at the conclusion of our interview. So after I was done with the interview, uh, made sure he got got home safe. Um, but I've known Jeff for quite a while. And he was very gracious to allow me to interview him and to confirm some of the things that we had talked about previously about the Wilma, where Jeff worked um, back in the early 90s. Uh, I've been very fascinated about something called the Chapel of the Dove. And so Jeff had primary information, having worked uh, in, the, in the elevator, the manually operated elevator in the Wilma. So I was really excited to be able to get some things sort of confirmed on the record uh, from a local who has um, seen and done quite a lot in this town. So I'm excited to be bringing that conversation to you in just a second. But first... The reason I scrapped the first intro and am re-recording this on November 7th, a beautiful Sunday outside, is because there is an opinion piece by Susan Haypatrick, Executive Director of the United Way of Missoula County, um, an agency I used to have some respect for when I worked at the Pavarilla Center, and now, because of Susan's leadership, I have zero respect. Zero. Zero. Um, and this is a very, very relevant op-ed piece because um, it's titled, Reaching Home Succeeds, Not Fails which in my humble opinion is total bullshit. Um, I've been, I was actually quoted in the 10-year plan to end homelessness. Um, I worked at the Pavarilla Center for seven years. I was the homeless outreach coordinator in my last iteration when I left in 2016. Um, so I have a lot of direct information also and really, really, I'd, I'd say nuanced understanding of what this town has done when it, when it relates to homeless-related services and trying to help the disadvantaged in our community like Jeff. So I'm going to read this op-ed by Susan Haypatrick first, and then we're going to get to a conversation with someone that's actually utilizing services. Um, but we're going to talk more about community stuff, not necessarily um, all that. So first, here's the op-ed. This is by Susan Haypatrick, Executive Director of the United Way of Missoula County. Quote, A lie can travel halfway around the world before the truth can get its boots on. End quote. I think of that saying, attributed to everyone from Mark Twain to Winston Churchill every time I hear Missoula's 10-year plan to end homelessness disparaged as a failure. The truth is that reaching home has taken strong steps over the last decade toward making homelessness in Missoula rare, 
brief and non-reoccurring. We are not there yet, but we are not failing. Nevertheless, because homelessness still exists and has worsened here and nationwide during the COVID-19 pandemic, critics are quick to dismiss the 10-year plan as a failure without ever offering practical alternatives to its comprehensive strategies. Nor do they acknowledge the reality that homelessness is complex. It can't be ended quickly or via a one-size-fits-all approach. A single working mom with kids needs different kinds of support and services to end her family's homelessness than does an elderly homeless man struggling with addiction and or mental illness, or a kid aging out of foster care. There are no, quote, the homeless, end quote. In an impossibly tight housing market, reaching homes heroic frontline practitioners work day after day, household by household, to address the unique situations of diverse individuals and families and help them meet their housing needs. Secure housing is the first step toward greater independence. Ending homelessness also means changing systems. Reaching Home makes it clear that the answer to homelessness is not shelter, but housing, which requires an adequate supply of housing options. While solutions are in the works, good projects like the Trinity Project Housing Collaboration don't happen overnight. They take time and cost money. Deep, trusting, effective public-private collaborations to bring about necessary systems change, such as the Missoula Coordinated Entry System. A process of addressing homelessness that saves lives and money also takes time to forge. In partnership with the city and county, United Way is proud to champion Reaching Home and its many accomplishments. Coordinated entry, solution-based weekly conferencing, where the cases of individuals experiencing homelessness are reviewed by name. A robust, robust housing solutions fund, enabling frontline workers to quickly resolve clients' housing needs. Emergency winter shelter, a COVID-safe non-congregate shelter, a temporary safe outdoor space, and soon, other safe outdoor options for people with no other place to go. We are also proud of Reaching Home's leadership roundtable of public and private sector leaders, including unhoused people, whose experience informs lasting solutions. Did Reaching Home achieve its ambitious goal in a decade? No, but we're not failing. We're moving forward. What can we improve? We need to better educate the public and policymakers at every level about homelessness and encourage investment in solutions that work. We need to access more housing that is affordable and also to bust persistent myths that all homeless people are lazy, criminal, or morally flawed, that other cities bust their unhoused residents to Missoula, or that providing services fosters corruption and dependence instead of promoting greater self-reliance. If ending homelessness were easy <clears throat> or cheap, <clears throat> Missoula <clears throat> would have done it by now including in the past decade, but we see our collective approach, which did not exist before reaching home, succeeding every single day. Solving homelessness isn't solely local government's job, or the nonprofit sector's job, or the faith community's job, or the job of housing developers, or of unhoused people. By sitting at the table together, we offer the collective vision, insight, skills, and resources necessary to strengthen Missoula for everyone by ensuring that all Missoulians have the opportunity to reach home.
Oh, that is so nice, Susan Hay Patrick of United Way of Missoula County. It's so nice. Um, I really hope there's not someone like, um, I don't know, like an actual service provider on the ground that used to be like a, a sort of like rock star for your efforts that may have um, started like to like wake up to the actual dynamics involved. I don't, I hope that's not the case. And in, in any case, um, that is a very long introduction. Um, we are nearing the eight and a half minute mark. And so I will now conclude this portion of the podcast and I will now feature the conversation with Jeff Roach. Um, and then, but, but before we get to it, one more thing, um, there is some audio issues. I think in my sort of rush to capture the moment, I may have not had the volume turned down on the actual speaker output. And so there seems to be an echo. Uh, and I'm going to try and talk to someone with more technological skills than I have to see if I can sort of resolve that. Um, otherwise, if I can't, it's going to be echoey. Um, and I hope that's not too <clears throat> ah, distracting. So thank you for listening. Tune in again when I bring you another episode of Zoomcron. Hello. He well, hello, Jeff. Um, my name is Travis Matier, but you already know that. And your name is Jeff, but if you'd like to introduce yourself to the people that are out there potentially listening, what's your my name, name, Jeff? My name is Jeffrey Roach. I'm a long-term resident of Missoula. You've lived in this town for, uh, for many years. And I ran across you um, a couple weeks ago talking, I, I was talking about Chapel of the Dove. Um, this was a place in the Wilma in the basement. And I just realized this place existed. I've lived here for 20 years. I had never heard of Chapel of the Dove. You worked in the elevator, didn't you? That's what you told me. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, there was a moment in time briefly where... Uh, uh, I was one of the last, um, you got to speak up just a little bit, Jeff, so we can hear your story. Okay. I was one of the last elevator operators west of the Mississippi that was manually operated, uh, for passenger elevator. So, you, so you, did, did you wear like a hat? Um, was there a uniform you had to wear as you were, um, letting people go up and down? Uh, no, I pretty much wore a bunch of tie-dye shirts. and. You like, were a hippie, weren't you? I was a hippie. <laughs> I, was, I was what they would have called a granola back in those days. I am not a granola. Well, I mean, that you probably fit in well with Ed Sharp. So Edward Sharp was the guy that owned the Wilma back then, and you told me that you would see him in a kimono, like walking around late at night? Yes, indeed. Oh my goodness! What was it like working in the Wilma back then? That was in the eighties, right? It, well, um, it was actually more in the early nineties. Oh, okay, early nineties. I, I moved here in eighty-eight, and so in to the early nineties, um, I I I wound up working there just because a friend of mine had moved in there, and I just found it the most fascinating building in the world. Yeah, a friend moved into the Wilma. Um, there was, was it kind of like a rundown place back then, or was it expensive to live in the Wilma? It was not rundown, but we would call it what we'd call today maybe shabby chic or shabby as, chic, <laughs> or as I like to call it. When my friend Tinsley Fremer asked about how would you describe the place, I called it modern bordello. Modern bordello. 
My. Yeah, because there was a lot of um, there was a lot of red and gold sort of fuzzy um, wallpaper on the walls. Oh, and interesting! Still ashtrays, and we had to vacuum and every floor. And well, yeah, back in the day, you could smoke. You could probably smoke cigarettes in there, right? Oh, you could smoke cigarettes inside the theater. Oh, that's right. Smoke, yeah. What was inside the theater like? Because I, I know that Rock and Rudy's, that, that ornate wooden, uh, that kind of weird sort of wooden thing in the back of Rock and Rudy's now, that was part of Chapel of the Dove. What was it like watching movies in there and just being in there? Um, I generally cleaned up afterwards, so <laughs> <laughs> I didn't watch a lot of movies in there because I was working in there. Um, but it used to crap me up that people were getting married in there and people had special moments in there. And, uh, yeah, people did get married in there. You know, um, I, I got this booklet and I'm going to show it to you <clears throat> once we're done recording. But um, there was a guy that, that took some photographs and he actually, <clears throat> excuse me, he got married at Chapel of the Dove and I emailed him because I want to interview him. He lives somewhere else now. Um, and I haven't, I haven't actually been able to connect with them to do that, but people will get married. Um, I talked to someone that saw Pulp Fiction for the oh, first yes. time when it was playing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I could hear it from the outside. You uh, could hear that. You could hear the, the Pulp Fiction plane. Oh yes. Back when that was a new movie and Quentin Tarantino was like a new filmmaker. That seems like uh, a long time ago, doesn't well, it? Well, I remember when they were, uh, suspecting that blue velvet was, uh, Possibly a David Lynch made after the one building. That's right, Blue. So David Lynch is 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 part of like the artistic culture in, in Missoula. Even though I don't know if he spent a long time in this town, um, but but is no, he? A, but he denied it thoroughly. He denied it thoroughly. That yeah, Blue Velvet was associated. Yeah, a friend of mine interviewed him back when there was the. Uh, when there was the original um, um, independent magazine. Oh, the Missoula Independent. Uh, yeah, a the original one. A magazine that's no longer with us. That actually might bring us into current politics. So, so Jeff, today I was walking around when I, when I saw you trying to make a phone call outside of where the county commissioners do their meeting, um, and I was telling you that I had this poem that I was really trying not to read out loud with a megaphone, um, because you're a poet and I'm a poet. Um, yeah. the first time I met you, uh, I, one of the first times I met you, you recited a poem, um, about trains from memory. I was, I was with a volunteer and I will tell you, Jeff, I will tell you this. I don't know if I've had a chance to ever mention this, but that volunteer remembered that poem and that performance of yours. I mean, he, he mentioned it years later that that always stuck with him. Um, that, that's that, really you know, weird. Cause that poem's really old. It, well, you wrote that it. That poem's about thirty years old. Didn't you? You went. You took classes with the creative writing program, right? When you moved here. Yeah, but taking taking classes with the creative writing program doesn't make all your poems great. Well, that's true. This is this is true. <laughs> did, did did you did you like workshops? I mean, did did you find it um, helpful to share your poems in a workshop environment so that other people could make their opinions known about it? Um uh, absolutely. I find it a very um what I would find it is a very um 
shy comfort zone. A shy comfort zone. Yeah, I like that term. Where, where people should be, um, they're a little bit more shy about expressing themselves than they need to be. Yeah, and and, and breaking some legs. <laughs> because because one thing Patricia Godica told me Patricia me, you took classes with Patricia yes oh I never got a chance to yeah she was my first poetry teacher oh excellent and uh, yeah she almost cut me out of the class <laughs> and uh, yeah because I, I came out of here just out of high school and she got me in three on a level and she only gave me that option um, based on uh, um, Bill Kittredge and, and a wink and a prayer. Oh, and, you're kidding me. You, so you, you knew know, Bill Kittredge too? Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. You uh, know that um, that giant book of Montana Literary, the, the last best uh, like book? It's a huge book. It, it was edited by... It's a tome. I it know. is a tome. It was edited by, by Bill Kittredge. He is a literary icon in this town. Did you ever? Did you ever read the the poem "Drinking and Driving Through Montana"? <laughs> Drinking and driving. I don't think I did. Was that a Bill Kittredge poem? Oh yeah. You know, uh, Richard Hugo is another. I mean, he Richard Hugo. Oh no, that was Richard Hugo. Was that Richard Hugo? Richard Hugo, I think. Bill Kittredge. Trying to think, it, it gets difficult sometimes recalling that this is. They were both of them. Mm -hmm. They were both tight as fleas. Bill Kittredge was head of the head of the department when I moved here. So, because Richard Hugo, Hugo was sixties, seventies. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But there's, I think Bill Kittredge wrote "Drinking and Driving" in a short one. I'll have Just to check about that. being able to being able to just a short story of poems about just like starting out in Missoula, getting through drumming, getting through, you know, and when back when there was only a $5 ticket fee for a speeding ticket in <laughs> Montana. Yeah, there used to I be. I mean, I remember getting those here and that was an 80 in the 80s and early 90s well that was one of the things that um as a non-resident at the time i i was traveling through montana and i'd heard there was no daytime speed limit and so i sort of tested that as an obnoxious kid in my dad's car and i got pulled over going 120 and it was interesting they they uh, escorted me into butte and i paid that ticket in cash otherwise they said i could spend some time in jail so i, I don't know if that uh, money in, that i paid them in cash ever got to the right place but um, I was happy to not be in jail, especially in Butte. <laughs> yeah, especially, especially in Butte. Well, um, so uh, they might have bought them a couple drinks in Butte. <laughs> well, so See, there's fuzzy logic in Montana. Yeah, you gotta get closer to the mic. We want we want to hear it. So, so today is the day that um our our mayor won his fifth term, Jeff. Like that was one of the things that I was mentioning to you that I was trying to, to. to oh, be again and again and again. Our mayor again and again and again. Um, but but you told me I, I want you to tell this story because um, obviously we should say something good about a man that helped you get into housing. You said that the, yes. the mayor himself, John Engen, actually helped me get my power turned on and You're get me into my first housing when the housing authority wasn't able to do it. 
What, what do you remember? What got, year that was? Did he? It was, well, how long has he been in office now? Well, it was sixteen years, and so at the end of his at this term, it'll be twenty years. So he's, was he a mayor at the time when he was helping you? Yeah, but so it could have been as early as two thousand seven, two thousand eight. He was pretty fat, so he was kind of heavy at the time. Well, so you what? Kind he of did problem? own the water company. What, wait, right. What, <laughs> what kind of um, housing authority problems were you having? Because that's a pretty common story that I heard when I worked at the Pavarello Center. What kind of housing authority were, was there? Um, I was working with you at the time. Maybe it was my fault. Maybe it was my fault. Well, so one of the things that happens is, and I know that you've had this issue, so if it's okay that I share this. Absolutely. Um, sometimes you have friends and they want to stay over and the housing authority has rules about how long a person can stay. And, and a lot of property management companies will have those rules, right? And so one of the challenges is sometimes people don't want to leave or it's hard to tell them to go. And I know a lot of people that have lost their housing because they had people that were sort of, you know, couch surfing. Oh, um, that's, that's absolutely been a problem. That's something that happened um, to you a few times, right? Um, uh, several. It doesn't mean that I shouldn't be able to put my foot down and stomp them out of the place. But, you know, sympathizing with, you know, people. Get a little closer to the mic. People. No, you got real close. Yeah. People, people, people that need just a, a night out of the cold, it's hard to say no to. Well, and that, and then sometimes, yes. and then sometimes it's hard to kick them out the next morning, and the next morning, and the next morning, if you're a sympathetic soul. Yeah, uh, and I want this to be driven home because um, this was some of the advice that I I actually had to give people um, when they were moving into the palace, for example. I told them, I'm like, hey don't share where you're staying because it is that hard to say no to someone. And so if you don't want to be in that situation where you're getting a knock on the door at like two in the morning and it's freezing cold out and how can you tell someone that, you know, when you're lucky enough to, to get that housing voucher and you're in that housing, how can you say no to someone that's cold outside? You know, exactly. <laughs> how can you say live long and prosper like a true Vulcan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to be this logical, heartless, um, just kind of, uh, yeah, um, you've, you've yeah. made your bed, now die. Yeah, sorry die for it. your bad luck. <laughs> well, you know, and Jeff, like, you remember people like Tim. Like, Tim Lloyd um, died in 2018, and it was the springtime. He had a housing voucher, but he was still outside, and he didn't make it, you I know. know. Um, and I remember talking to Tim, because Cockeye Joe and Tim and, Sh and uh, Shelly, uh, I almost said Sherry, not Shelly. No, Shelly. Um, you know, some of these, some of these old school people, uh, that a they're lot all of, gone. They're, now I'm the old people. <laughs> well, you, I kind of hate that. <laughs> it's well, you've got wisdom now and perspective about this town that not a lot of people have. And that's one reason why I'm very happy that you agreed to, you know, blabber on the microphone with me for a little bit. Um, because are you okay sharing with where you're currently at? Oh, Absolutely. So the T the TSOS, which stands for Temporary Safe Outdoor Space. Um, Correct. How, how has that been? Oh, it's been better, been worse. It's, <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's it's a little. It gets cold now. The, were there some new uh, delivery of new um, sort of more insulated tent type structures? Right, is that something that's been going on out there, or was that? There's been a lot of if. Um, 
Well, and I, I gotta get you. I gotta give you a ride back out there. So maybe we can go take a look and we'll we'll go scope it out because that was one agreement I, I had. Is it, you actually got a call from someone in the service provider world. Uh, they were checking up to make sure you were getting back to you were getting on the bus, right? Um, and so I made sure to let them know I was gonna get you back to the T, the TSOS. So that's to, that's accountability on my part, right? Um, but but staying out there is a challenge. It gets cold still, right? Sometimes you're oh, saying it's freezing. Um, are there rules in terms of things you have to abide by? I just got to be, you know, general rules about being polite to your neighbors. Being polite. So kind of like a low barrier. That's a term that's used sometimes. Um, so there's not a lot of rules about like you can't ever have alcohol. Um, and I'm a supporter of low barrier harm reduction. That's one of these terms that's well, out there. You, you can't, you can't be, uh, you can't basically can't be an a-hole. You can't be an a-hole. You know what? Um, a-hole is in my poem that I wrote. <laughs> do, do you want to, do you want to hear my poem, Jeff? And then, yes, and then we I can, do. we can wrap this up. Um, no, we don't have to wrap it up. I want to hear that poem. No, no. I, I'm going to read you the poem. I'm going to read it on the, the so I just wrote this this morning. Let me let me tell you a little bit about my poetic process. Um, I like to take my dog out to the river. And a lot of times when I go to these different river spots, I get poetry. So I think I get help from from like the spirits of the forest or something. Does that sound hokey? Is that is that no, granola? Like dyads and, and naiads. Well, no, I get that. But oftentimes people think of poetry as like flowery words, but um, this is definitely not that poem. So here it is, Jeff. This is the poem that I did not want to read on a megaphone. Okay. Yes, I am a terrorist to your status quo. Discovery is coming. No bombs need to blow. Yes, I am a journalist and gonzo to the core. My bias is a badge in this information war. Yes, I am an asshole to those I don't respect. There isn't time to pantomime as we drown in debt. No, not just dollars. Your bankrupt spirit cries like the family members of so many who have died. Yes, your end is coming. It comes for all, I hear. The trick is how to live while minimizing fear. Fear is your currency. Fear is your control. But I put fear in plant form and burn it in my bowl. Then I eat a mushroom and Mario down a tube, exploring psychic basements with tubing fungal food. Yes, it can be scary. Yes, it can be hard. But stupid screens won't change a thing, ignoring your backyard. We're almost done. Yes. I didn't ask you. <laughs> yes, I am an optimist, unlikely as it sounds. Destroying's not the way to save our little town. That was Vietnam and Fallujah in Iraq. What do you say, Missoula? Give up or fight back? What do you think? Well, all right. Here's... You got to make sure that criticism gets right into that microphone so people hear what you think of that All right. poem. It is it is beautiful and lovely and rhyme. And it describes this town to a notch. However, what I would like to see you do is expand on it a expand. little more. Yeah, well, yeah. well, like to get a little, little freer from the end of end rhyme and and good point the end rhyme it's a very simple rhyme scheme isn't it yeah and get a little internal get a little 
Um, you are a poet of craft, sir. You know, it's interesting because, so here's my poetic approach also, right? Not just going out in the woods and writing no, poems. No, it's good, though. I mean, it says everything about this town. I like Do simple poetry. Do not get me wrong. Well, yeah, no, I, but your criticism is very good because when I went to, to take classes, the, the free verse, right? Um, there's a lot more complicated poetry that I actually like, and, and the poems that I've been writing um, in the last couple of years are very simple. They're very simple. They're easy to understand. Simple rhyme schemes, simple end rhymes. It is a very, very simple structure. And it's funny because, um, like the formalists, you know, um, people like Weldon Keys and, and some of these formalists that I, I learned about later after, after the free verse. Robert Frost ruined, <laughs> ruined end rhyme for English for everybody. Well, it's poetry of the people that's easy to remember because of the simple rhyme scheme. Like uh, one of the things I was talking to you before we started recording is just like the oral tradition um, and how stories used to be recorded by memory. And um, the poetic structure was part of that, you know, being able to remember it better or easier, kind of getting it more encoded in your brain. Um, and if, if the Internet, that's, that is yeah. true. If the Internet blinks out, you know, that's what are we going to do? Nur that's why nursery rhymes become nursery rhymes yeah that's why that is also why the uh oh those horrible stories we tell our kids like grim's fairy tales you know you know it's like oh my gosh if you really look at those original stories yeah. it's like they'd all be pg or 17 <laughs> i mean and nc17 like, yeah i mean it'd be like whoa yeah. you don't let my kid go see where cinderella's sisters get well as i read my kids books a, um yeah you know i, I got if you look at the old school you know this is oh, get, know, get get closer to the microphone so we can hear you better the, there there's a reason why grandma has big teeth <laughs> right yeah Better to chew you up with, my dear. Yeah, this is a way not to walk over. There's a reason why the witch has all the candy. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with Halloween. That's Wise just a crazy little woman down the road that says, Ee. Oh, it's uh, in the Halloween. You know, Halloween was just a couple of days ago. Day of the Dead. Um, we used to have Day of the Dead in this town, and that hasn't happened for a couple of years now. I think they almost tried to manipulate it into something. Day well, of the convenient or day of. It got it got shut down. I think 2017. I was looking into because this. There again. wasn't enough Mexicans to participate. Yeah, which it, disappointed me the most of all. Cultural appropriation was happening, according to yeah, there the people. There were too many white people, too many white people participating in a Mexican. Ceremony. Well, do, do you remember? Um, Brian Ramirez is still here. Um, he was one of the first guys. I well, I know his friend Mike was one of the first guys I met when I moved here in 2000. They they had a band called X Cocaine, and uh, and Brian Ramirez, like I remember back when this was happening, he said that hey, my last name's Ramirez. I'm Mexican. He's like, I give you guys authority as a Mexican to do to this, do this. but it, it didn't, it didn't work. Um, and, and the irony was that the people that were the most upset seemed to be some indigenous people, um, on campus. So they weren't Mexican themselves. And then a white guy by the name of Tobin, Tobin Shearer. Um, he actually is friends with my pops. Um, and he, he came here, he's a, he's a professor. And, um, part of his job is to uh, make sure that things like day of the dead and that 
um, nice cultural mixing actually doesn't happen. It gets called cultural appropriation and then it stops, but you can still get some food at uh, Mexican restaurants. Yeah. Oh, actually, you know, you can get some food at um, the Golden Yolk. Did you know the Golden Yolk um, changed its name from Ninja Mike's because Ninja Mike's was seen as not being culturally sensitive enough? Well, they're afraid we're going to be attacked by chopsticks. <laughs> now, now, Jeff, I don't want to get you. I don't want to get you canceled. So um, luckily, luckily, I can, I can go in and edit this. Were there too many samurai chopsticks at Ninja Mike's? So speaking, speaking of now, speaking of like outfits and uniforms, it was Halloween. Um, you think that I kind of look like a, a crazy leather daddy now, don't you? So, no, I, I'm just, I'm just thinking of parts of, uh, um, when I'm, when I love I'm, it. I, I love that depiction, by the way. I love by, it. By the way, when I'm, when I'm thinking of, uh, when I look at your new wardrobe, <laughs> um, your, your, I, I, I truly, I've been watching zombie movies forever. And, yep, 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 yep. And uh, I'm pretty much COVID is zombie stuff. We're all we're all in a zombie apocalypse now. Yeah. So so do you think that well, I, we have been forever? We have been. No, nobody ever labeled it that way. Right. I agree. And, you know, I mean, we've been going through through um, through everything from. Ebola, H1N1, diseases, bad planning, bad government, bad, you know, you can dress it up, tear it down. And that's why I want to look good. And I want to look, I want to look appropriate. You want to look ready for my, my culture now is the zombie apocalypse. I have adopted that as my future culture that I identify with. You realize it's getting passe now. It is. They're, they're bringing back zombie vampires. Yeah, no, now it's it all suck your blood because now your blood's been purified by the COVID um, uh, vaccine. <laughs> so now, 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 no, but there's nano robots in your blood now. That's what that. Oh you know. dang, nano robots! Don't you remember that 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 I am a crazy conspiracy theorist? I mean, fully accepted. I I that label very much applies to me. And now apparently, I can also call myself, according to this poem, a journalist. Um, an optimist and a terrorist, all in one poem, because that's what poetry can do. Well, you Jeff. know, I, I'm a, I'm a pest optimist. Have I ever a pest optimist? You yes. can make up words as a poet. Uh, so, how how would you define a pest optimist? And then we can we can conclude on that. How, what what makes you a pest optimist? A pest optimist is a person that believes that the glass is half empty because what's left in it might be good or it might be poison but he's gonna drink it anyway (laughs) (laughs) oh on that note jeff it's been a pleasure and now i have a responsibility to get you where you need to be um and we will use the restroom appropriately because we actually had to kind of run away from a private security guy on the county courthouse lawn um, and they may or may not be looking for you at this point. So um, we are rebels and and we are going to get you back to where you need to be. Are we and rebels without a clause? How do we, we, we have no that? clauses left. There's no clauses left for the rebels like us, Jeff. Help. I need somebody. <laughs> oh, okay. This has been a fantastic conversation with Mr. Roach, a poet. I am a poet. Um, and I hope poets can continue writing poetry in the future. So, Well, just remember... Uh, Yeah. Yeah. On that.
Until next time. All right, and that concludes the conversation. I want to thank Jeff for allowing me to read that poem. That's something I did not mention in the intro, uh, that, that part of the whole impetus in that conversation with Mr. Roach on that day was my need to avoid reading that poem in a megaphone format on a public sidewalk, um, since I have done that previously and apparently makes some people very, very nervous. Um, but, but again, thank you, Jeff, for allowing me to, to interview you, and I hope to bring other conversations, real-life experiences from people, um, because our local media is not telling the, the full scope of the stories that are happening. Um, it is a very, very controlled information environment uh, where people like Susan Haypatrick get to absolutely dominate the narrative control. Um, and one of my big, big goals um, is to not allow these people to continue controlling the narrative in the ways that they've um, been allowed to do over the years. So um, in that effort, I will continue to bring some more conversations. So stay tuned. Again, I'm your host, Travis William Skink Matier. This is ZoomCron. You can reach out to me at willskink at yahoo.com. That's W-I-L-L-S-K-I-N-K at yahoo.com. Until next time.